Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. What is up, you guys? Happy Wednesday. I am elated to share today's episode with you because we have a very special guest named Jacqueline Journey. This episode is only possible thanks to one of my best friends in Boston, Daniela Vishnik. I probably said that wrong, but I have to say a huge thank you to her and her dad because her dad actually thought that Jacqueline would be a good guest and her dad lives near Jacqueline in Florida. So thank you to Daniela's dad, Daniela and Jacqueline for deciding to come on to the podcast. It means a lot to me and you guys will understand why after you listen to today's episode. So before we get into it, I'm going to give you the formal bio of Jacqueline Journey because there's a lot behind her name that we should share. I mean, it's something to be so proud of. Her resume is so deep. She is an award-winning filmmaker and television producer who has created thousands of hours of original programming. Her programming has been all over the world. She has also produced live concerts, documentaries, series, and high-profile interviews featuring Oscar winners, Grammy winners, legends, and celebrities, including Matthew McConaughey, who we talked about today, Dennis Quaid, who's also mentioned, Willie Nelson, who's also mentioned, today, Billy Bob Thornton, Juliette Lawrence, and Taylor Swift, who we also talk about today very briefly. So she glazes over a lot of things in her career because we could talk for days about all of the things that she's accomplished. But there are a few more things that I have to mention, which is that she worked with a three, or she worked with three 24-hour music and entertainment networks. And I want to rattle these off for you guys so you understand the depth of her portfolio and her resume. So she worked with Hit Video USA, which was bought out by Viacom International, TMZ, The Music Zone, a partnership with TCI Liberty, and ME Television, a partnership with Time Warner, where she was vice president and executive producer. She was also recruited to be the COO of Carol Co. Pictures, and they are a legendary studio. You guys, they are the studio that brought us Terminator 2, Basic Instinct, Rambo, the 1, 2, and 3, Total Recall, LA Story, etc. And it's really, I think, tough if you aren't in the Hollywood industry or the entertainment industry to understand, or the music industry, to understand like all of this. But I think one thing we could all understand is that she also completed her own feature film called Hidden Assets. She wrote it, directed, and starred in it. And it was screened in Con, and it was awarded Best Film at Florida Supercon. So she's had years behind the camera. If you didn't recognize her face from NBC's Friday Night Lights or you're not a fan of Friday Night Lights like I was, she was in there. Like She has been all over. She has such a, a variety, I guess, in her background, which makes her so even keeled and have such a great perspective on life and growth and change and really just career paths in general. And I am so pumped for you guys to hear really about how she decided to be her most authentic self. And it it was a shift that she underwent and it culminated into writing a book. In 2018, she wrote a book called The Divas in the Details, The Celebrity and CEO-Inspired Guide to Confidence, Courage, and Style. And you guys, I got 
well, we all are going to get a little glimpse into what is actually in this book and why you need it. So I have links in the show notes where you can find to go to Amazon and buy the book. So before I give too much more away, let's get Jacqueline on the podcast, you guys. I hope you enjoy. And just so you know, I did end this episode with tears in my eyes. Call it connecting energy or inspired energy. I just felt so, I don't know, on a different level. It was incredible. So enjoy, have fun, listen, send us questions if you have any. And as always, dare to move. Awesome. How are you? I'm good. So nice to meet you in person. Thank you so much for accommodating me. I got stuck with a work thing that was not ending. And I knew it at like 830 this morning. I was like, they told me I would be done by 10. And there was no way. And I was right. Yeah, that's the worst feeling. But it's super I work from home. So super easy for me to be flexible. Yeah, most of the time. So well, we will have to talk about that today. (laughs) The portfolio lifestyle. So to get started, I like to talk to people, I like to start things with a quote because I think it kind of lets people inside the head of my listener without telling too much about them. So today's quote is, if you do not change your direction, you may end up where you are going. I love that. It really speaks to me in that I love quotes as well. And actually in my book, The Divas and the Details, every Divas Detail chapter begins with a quote from someone that I admire who has said or done something interesting. And people have to understand that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, like they say, is insanity. That's the definition. And you have to, if you want to make change in your life, you have to take steps and do things you've never done before. I love that you appreciate quotes in the same way because I'm very into that woo-woo stuff. So I love that. And I think that a lot of us get stuck in ruts and it takes a lot of almost critical thinking about where do I go next? And I want to get into your journey with regards to that today. But before we go there, the second question I always ask is you're sitting on a plane and someone asks you, what do you do? How do you answer? Generally, my go-to has always been, I work in film and television. Honestly, I pretend to be asleep on planes (laughs) a lot. (laughs) The minute I sit down, or put on headphones. But that's really been my go-to. I have to say the last uh, year or two, sometimes that changes because I've been doing so many different things that I had never done before. And I figured out a lot of what I do is helping people to look and feel better. You know, I I hired and trained on our talent for years and helped everyone to figure out uh, the best parts of themselves and how to present themselves well on camera and off and do interviews and that kind of thing. So I think that helped with the book as well. That's incredible. So when you say you helped talent, was it just like one-on-one coaching? Was it in a group format? Yeah. Um, All three of the networks, just to give you a brief background, I started off on camera actually when I was in high school and I hosted music video programs and I did a show in New York on Saturday mornings, which was wild because people would call in, they're screaming. (laughs) For all their favorite music videos, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. But I knew immediately I wanted to know more about what was going on behind the scenes, and that's how I got into producing. And I've been super fortunate over the years that I can actually produce, direct, be a creative, and then also do on camera work. For all three of these networks, I ended up hiring the on-air talent. So I would handle the auditions, and I would be part of the process in hiring these people. And then training them um, and helping them to figure out what's my on-air 
persona, if you will, which always has to be authentic. It never works if it isn't. I love that you said that. And it's funny, one of the questions I just have handwritten down for you is going to go into, and this is taking a little bit of a diversion, but body image and self-confidence, because I can imagine that that is a humongous part of being on camera. And I was going to ask the question specifically to you and maybe something you've gone through with how you see yourself, how you think of yourself, especially when you're putting yourself out there like you have. But I'll open up the question also with advice you might give to other people who have dealt with that, any of your clients. So much of it is attitude. It's really about saying, you know what, this is, I mean, I'm all about betterment. You know, if you are unhealthy in some way, you know, then taking care of yourself and eating better and exercising and all those things are really, really good for you. But there is a difference between being healthy, you know, mentally and physically, Mm -hmm. and you have to embrace who you are. And there are people who, I mean, you look at so many people who have achieved great amounts of success because they embrace who they are. And in fact, my number one diva's detail is imitation is suicide because it's 100% true. You have to love who you are and you have to figure out what makes you special. So you can't look at Elle McPherson, although I would love to have her figure. She's like (laughs) something and she still looks 22. Seriously. I will never look like her, you know, or be like her. I can appreciate her and I think she's great. But all of us need to embrace what's really great about us, what makes us unique. And you can't judge yourself against someone else. I love all of these movements now where some of the new cosmetic companies, you go into the drugstore and they specifically offer pictures of the models wearing their makeup that have not been photoshopped in any way, shape or form. Because I think it's really healthy for people. You can't put these unrealistic expectations on yourself. Wow. And this is going to take it even a step further from a producing standpoint. For instance, I listened to a podcast called Script Notes that I love. It's a lot about screenwriting. And they talk about when writers write for a specific type of character, when it comes to casting, how do you deal with that? Whether it's as an actor or you talking to someone you're mentoring when you can tell or you know that they're looking for a Jennifer Lawrence or they're looking for someone that is a certain way to be able to embody maybe some characteristic of Jennifer Lawrence while also bringing a sense of themselves. Well, it's so different for uh, doing where someone is an on-air personality as opposed to someone who is portraying a character Mm -hmm. where they already have a preconceived notion of what you think that person should be like. So it's kind of interesting because I've done both and they're so vastly different. And I've also done on air as a personality and as um, an actress. So I also feel for the people. (laughs) And what people don't get is they want you to be good. When you walk in that audition room and you're, you know, ready to read your lines or do a sample break, whatever it is, they want you to be the one. They want you to be fantastic because they want a success. They want to find someone fantastic. So It's not as, I don't know, it it brings comfort to me to think of that whenever going into an audition. And I try to remind people of that when they come in. But anyway, about the stereotypes, like with uh, on-air people, I was always looking for a personality. Mm. I wanted someone who was unique. And so there never was that stipulation like, yeah, we'd like a Jennifer Lawrence type. It was always looking for someone. And a lot of times you would know within the first 30 seconds. 80% of the people that I've hired over the years I knew immediately they were the one, that they they were perfect for uh, what they did. One of the people I hired at in Austin, uh, we built a network with Time Warner that was a lot of 
independent film, live music, that kind of thing. One of the guys that I hired was Bobby Bones, who now does... I'm a humongous fan of Bobby Bones, I have to say. He's great. He's a lot of fun. But uh, he worked for me for, I think, about five years while I was there. Um, And then I think he moved to Nashville from Austin. In 2013, right? Or 2012? Like with him, I knew right away. You know, he had his own personality, his own look. He wasn't trying to be someone else. Not at all so important and with a film however it's different i had written this last project i'd written the screenplay when the people came in to audition i did have a preconceived notion of what i thought those characters should be but i have to say i really didn't end up casting the people i thought i would cast yeah because i think it's important to have that open mind and people came in and auditioned and brought something to that character gave it a certain depth or a certain slant that I didn't foresee and you can't foresee. So I think in casting, it's kind of dangerous to kind of go for the type. I think you might miss out on some really great talent that way. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And I think saying that too would give anyone listening who is an actor or actress that it just is more encouragement to be themselves. And just a quick note on the imitation thing. I think what's tough for the everyday person is Instagram because you see these things that trend and you feel as if in order to get more likes or get more notoriety or spread your message, you have to kind of blend in in that way. So how do you think about Instagram when it comes to those things? I think it's really tough. I mean, this is so different from how it was when I was in high school Mm -hmm. or college and we just didn't have that, you know, whether it was victory or humiliation, it was kind of confined (laughs) to, you know, it was a local event, you know, but nowadays everything is, you know, has the possibility to go viral and be, you know, visible around the world. It's a lot of extra pressure. And I, I really do believe that as difficult as it is, you have to figure out, look, this is what makes me tick. This is what makes me great. If you don't know what you're better at than anyone else in the entire world, ask your best friend, ask someone you trust, figure it out. Because every single one of us is here for a particular reason. Every single one of us has something spectacular to offer that no one else has. And no one else can do exactly the same way that we can do it. And it's it's very hard in today's world to hold on to that sometimes. But I think it's so important. That's really good advice, especially about the friend. Because some people don't know where to start. We hear the cliche advice, be yourself, be you, you know, be authentic. And we don't know where to start. So I love that you just gave the listeners like a tangible thing to go maybe do tonight. So thank you for that. So glad. And I hope to actually I want to tell a quick story. There was a yeah. woman who came to one of my speaking engagements and book signings. And she had printed out the entire book because when it came out, I was very lucky. It sold out twice on Barnes & Congratulations. And- Thank you. And so she printed out the whole book to bring to me, but she also brought in each of my chapters, I'm giving people advice at the end and sort of a takeaway and to do the obvious. And when I was talking about figuring out who you are and what you're good at, one of the suggestions is, you know, ask a friend, someone you trust. And there's a whole list of questions. And she brought the handwritten notes that her friend had done for her. And she literally was in tears talking to me saying she had no idea how valued she was how important she was to this person. And it completely changed her outlook on what she was good at and what she should be doing with her life. And she was in the midst of making a complete and total, it makes me actually want to cry when I think yeah. about it. 
that was like a, such a pivotal moment for me because I felt like, wow, you know, this, this really made an impact on her and this really helped her to make a decision in her life like that. And it is really important, but it's things that you don't necessarily think to do is to go to the people in your life that you really trust because they can see you more clearly sometimes than you can. A hundred percent. I agree. We get in our own heads. We overthink things. We maybe sometimes build up certain things that aren't really true. And so I love that you shared that. And I, I do have a couple more questions for you about entertainment and Hollywood. But while we're on the topic of your book, I want to talk about that because I actually published my book. I self-published in April of last year. Thank you. And it was a roller coaster and I did it more or less as a bucket list thing where it kind of I don't know if you can relate, but I felt pregnant for like three years writing it. And once it was out, it was done and it was a thing and it's real and it was amazing. But I'd love to know about your process. When did you start writing? Why did you decide to do it? It was actually what you were saying in the beginning, kind of about when people are kind of figuring out what they want to do next, you know, and what's coming next. And I really felt like I was on a hamster wheel. The last network, I was the executive producer and vice president of the live concert documentary network uh, based in Austin. And it was 24-7. If we went off the air at 3 a.m., I was getting the phone call. We were producing 56 hours of original programming a week. And it was off the charts, stressful. I didn't have a lot of time to do really anything else, but it was amazing. I mean, we I worked with people like Matthew McConaughey and Taylor Swift and Dennis Quaid and all these incredible people. And I wouldn't exchange it for the world. But at a certain point, I said, you know what? I really haven't been doing what I always dreamed of doing. I always wanted to make a movie that was my big bucket list thing. And I had wanted to start my own production company, you know, maybe do my own programming and concentrate on maybe one show a week <laughs> instead <laughs> of 56, which is a very big difference. And I started making this list of all of these extraordinary people and like billionaires and Oscar winners and Grammy winners and legends and icons that I had the privilege of meeting and working with over the years and what they had in common. And I made this list for myself and I just one day said, that's it. You know, I'm going to start following this list in my way, you know, while still being me. And I changed everything. I started my own company. I moved back to Florida. I produced my first feature film. We screened in Cannes. We won Best Film at Supercon in Miami. It was like this whole chain of crazy events that I never expected. And all my friends were like, I want to see this list. What is this list? And that's how I began to write the book because the book is the list. So it was kind of this, it was a manifestation of all these things, but it sounds like you kind of did it as you were figuring it out. Would you say? I did. Absolutely. It was learn as you go. And mm. for me, the biggest step was just taking that first step moving back to Florida, starting my own company, you know, when I was used to having a regular job and I always worked for someone else. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really scary in a lot of ways. And I needed that constant motivation and reminder and the list really helped me. And my friends, after I started sharing it around, they're like, you should do a book, you should do a book. And I said, you know what, I actually think that I will. You know, I think it's such a an idea could help so many people just to have that motivation. I read motivational books by other people, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. And 
There's a great book that I got as an audiobook recently on F Yourself. <laughs> you read that? I've heard of it. It's on my list. <laughs> it's actually really good. But, you know, we all need sometimes that little extra shove mm-hmm. to, to keep going. But it really helped me. And I've been loving sharing with people and speaking to people. I never thought I would enjoy that. But it's been the highlight of doing the book. That's so cool that you did something, you know, manifesting one thing you thought, and then you find this other thing that comes your way. I've, I think that's magical. And the one thing I would love for you to tell the listeners is, you know, you, you're taking action, you're doing these things to make it all happen, but there's a lot of fear involved. And in a lot of ways, I would say you are doing what I talk about a lot, which is living a portfolio lifestyle at this point. When you're working for yourself, you're doing various projects. Sounds like you were you know, working on a movie, writing a book, probably even t- 10 times more than that. But what did you do to kind of overcome the fear during that initial phase of, oh my gosh, I don't maybe have a salary anymore or you know, anyone telling me what to do? Everyone's afraid of failure. You know, that's probably, as you say, you know, it's it's the biggest obstacle for most people. And you have to get over that. Understanding and appreciating that failure is part of the pot of the process. Failure is absolutely nothing but course correction if you let it be. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at this like, I'm gonna fail. <laughs> but you know what? After I fail, I'm gonna learn something. And so next time I'm gonna either fail in a different way <laughs> for a different <laughs> reason, or I'm finally gonna figure it out. And that's what it was, you know, and I, I would go in various directions with my company and I'd start to go one way, but then I would figure out that people actually wanted something else and you have to be malleable, you know, and, and still doing what you're passionate about, but cater to, you know, how you can actually make a living. But on the fear end, I really started making lists. I'm a huge advocate of lists for many, many things in life. And I think it keeps you on track. It's the way I was able to finish the book but even with fears, and I would say, okay, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? If this goes to hell in a handbasket, if it's an epic fail, like what's going to happen? And then say, okay, and if all that happens, what would I do to fix it? You know, what would I do to turn it around? And so that I had the worst case scenario already mapped out for me, that I was mentally prepared. And then I would look, okay, what is the absolute best thing that can come from this? And what would I do if this all actually worked out? And I got to live the life I was dreaming about. And I got to really be my own boss and do all of these things. And it really helped me to understand that the fear was really paralyzing me without, once I got really specific with it, it had less control over me. And another big thing for me, which is for a lot of people too, is imposter syndrome. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's the worst. It's horrible. I never knew that it was something until when I was doing research for the book, I came across the actual terminology Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my God, I have to write about this because I have this. This is the absolute worst. And it's terrifying and immobilizing when you walk into a room and you feel like I'm going to screw this up. I'm not good enough. Who are these people? What are they going to think of me? You know, I'm, I'm a fraud. And, and then it doesn't make any sense. It's completely irrational. And there's no reason to think that way, but it really affects women much more than men. And mm-hmm. I was shocked to find out that and for those people that don't know, the imposter syndrome was, is a, uh, a real condition. It was diagnosed by psychologists back in the late 1970s, although no one talked about it, I guess. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. Which is very weird, where 
you have this uh, crippling sense that you are a fraud, that you are unworthy, that you are undeserving of praise. And so when someone wants to say something nice about you, you don't believe it. Even if you have a lot of accomplishments, you don't feel that you've earned them. It's very debilitating, but knowing that it's an actual condition really does. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. That's just that. That's not real. Yeah. This is something that for environmental reasons or situation reasons is just popping up and it makes it much more easy to handle. I'm now going to think of any time I get like that feeling that it's just like, okay, it's a rash. Like, you know, when you get a weird rash, like what is happening? But then you're like, oh, it's an allergic reaction or, oh, it's a mosquito bite. Then your worries go away because you know. So I love that, that mindset of thinking about it. And it sounds like you, you know, you, you basically accepted failure is going to happen. You stayed malleable. Oh, it has happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. My friend Sam even said, he's like, you have to like count the no's or the like, no thank yous. Uh, I wish I'd done that because <laughs> it would be so fun. I'm envious of the people who are like, I had 98 no's. It was like, yeah. I think I read somewhere U2 was turned down 97 times by record labels before they actually got a deal. Hershey went bankrupt seven times before he made the Hershey bar. I mean, there are endless examples. Yeah, of it's incredible. But so speaking to the no's and the difficulties, talk to us just about maybe a couple things that stand out to you about the struggles of writing the book. And that could even be part of pitching it to people. I think that's a really big challenge that people face. Writing the book, probably the biggest challenge for me, it helped a lot that I had written television segments and screenplays and things like that. But it is a completely different medium, as Mm. you know, uh, from writing your novel. But, you know, when you do a a narrative story and you're dealing with characters and character arcs and Mm. subtext, all this stuff, when you're writing a nonfiction book that's like a motivational self-help like mine, it's completely different. It's, you know, it's apples and oranges. And for me, it was hard to get personal. Like I had no intention of writing anything about myself only, you know, what I had observed from all of these celebrities and CEOs over the years and what they had in common. Um, But in doing that, there wasn't really a strong point of reference where I could talk about what I learned from that and how I applied it in my own life without talking about me. Mm. And I had always classically been, you know, pretty private. So that part was probably the hardest for me. And talking about my husband had stage four head and neck cancer and, right in the process, actually, when I was beginning to write the book. And a lot of these things actually helped me get through that. And Mm. it became very personal at a certain point. And that was probably the toughest. As far as pitching it to people, that was not hard for me. I don't know why. I think from pitching television series and things Mm. like that, a little more comfortable doing that. And for me, the biggest point was finding an editor. I think anyone who wants to write a book, if you find an editor really be careful about who you choose. I think that was such an important decision, finding someone who understood my voice and didn't want to try and rewrite what I wrote, only to help me make it as palatable as possible, and who was really familiar with the genre that I was working within and understood my goals with the book and how exactly I wanted to help people with it. That is great advice. I think from my experience with working with an editor, she kind of became a coach. You know, she'd say, she'd pull those personal things out of me because mine started as a memoir and I turned it into a novel based on true events. But, you know, saying, I think you can develop that more. 
you know, I want more detail here. This isn't important. It's just so, it's such a great relationship. So I think that's. You need that. I mean, James Patterson has editors. The best writers have editors. You have to have an editor. Don't try to do it completely by yourself. Yeah, I can. I appreciate you sharing that. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. If you didn't know, I am the CEO, founder, and head coach at Crossroads of Fitness. And our claim to fame is the Dare to Eat Fat Loss Program. I wanted to let you know that we are actively taking on new clients. I have two other lead coaches right now. And if you are interested in losing six to 12 pounds in 12 weeks, we want to work with you. We teach what is scientifically proven to be the sustainable rate of fat loss. And you can check out the links in the show notes that will take you to our program offerings on our website. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. I am happy to enroll you as a new client. I would love to work with you. If you have any questions, let me know and dare to eat. When you think back on your career path and it's kind of culminated into this book process and this, um, like I would, I'm not going to speak for you, but it sounds like some type of an awakening with what you want to do and how you want to live your life and even where you want to live your life. And so can you talk to us a little bit about the career path that brought you here and kind of where you got started? I know you mentioned doing, you know, things as far back as high school. You can just share kind of whatever you feel the most. (laughs) Well, I think just, I always loved entertainment and performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents started out in radio and I learned very quickly from them, like the importance of really believing in what you're doing and not listening to all the naysayers, you know, that you have to fight for what you believe in. And probably one thing I, I remember more than any other was when my parents were first starting out, they both worked at a TV station and their dream was to buy a radio station. And at the time you could do that as a person with the FCC deregulation. Now you could never do it, but because they're all owned by clear channel and Cox radio and all that. So they set out to do it, but they had this crazy idea and they wanted to put rock and roll on FM radio. This sounds so obvious, but at the time popular radio was on AM and everyone said they were ridiculous. They, all the experts told them no way they couldn't get a bank loan, nothing, nothing, nothing. They tried and tried and tried and tried and were turned down, you know, a million times. They finally got one bank who thought they would take a risk on them and they were able to buy the worst rated radio station in all of Kansas city that no one had ever heard of, that no one had ever listened to on the dial. And they turned it into a 24 hour rock and roll radio station. They had a little studio above a Mexican restaurant, and every time they plugged in the vacuum cleaner downstairs to vacuum the floors, the station went off the air. Oh, my God. They went over the fuses. So this was the environment they were in, and they turned that worst-rated radio station in Kansas City to the best-rated radio station in Kansas City, and they turned around and sold it for the most money that had ever been paid for an FM station, and they helped to change the face of radio. But everyone thought they were crazy. You know, and but growing up in that environment where they felt so strongly about what they were doing, and mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they made mistakes like we all do, but this is an example of really sticking to your guns. And I think knowing that and having that history really helped me when I realized at that television station in Austin, you know what, this is great, and I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I've had, but there's so much more in my life that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is follow my gut. 
follow my heart, go mm. and do what I think it is that I should be doing. And it's, it's really tough. It is really tough. And you need examples, you know, like that, if they aren't in your near vicinity, you know, I was fortunate that I had parents like that, but get the motivation anywhere you can get it. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's all the time. Yeah. I actually had to ask myself this morning, what is my why for doing this podcast? Because this launched just last December and I love connecting with people that are inspirational and have, you know, achieved things that I hope to achieve someday. But I think ultimately too, I want to entertain people and expand people's minds. And I think holding on to that and just reminding yourself, like, why am I doing what I'm doing can be a good exercise. And so I'd love to ask you, you know, what do you love about what you're doing right now? I really love talking to people who I can help in some way, which you get is, I didn't expect that. You know, when I first put out the book, I really didn't think that that would be, I didn't want to do speaking engagements, mm-hmm. you know, I did some book signings and things like that. And I was fortunate enough to like do uh, Neiman Marcus, who was amazing. But the speaking engagements ended up being my favorite part because the people would stay generally afterwards and we could have a real in-depth conversation and they're real people with real problems or, you know, at a real crossroads who just need a little bit of help, you know, or they want someone to bounce their ideas off of. And a lot of times we don't feel comfortable talking to people that we know really well about some of the things that are going on in our lives. And you feel more comfortable talking to a stranger. And I've had primarily women, you know, come up to me, and talk to me very specifically about, you know, their marriage or they're going through a divorce or they just lost their job or going through this transitional period and really looking for some guidance or just support to say, I'm with you. I understand what you're going through, if nothing more to help them. And that's been incredible. It was so unexpected for me. And it's been literally the best part of it because I I really see that it it can help people, you know, and I love that. It sounds like too, it's just a very direct line of here's what I did. Here's the impact. I can see it right now because obviously your work that you did throughout your career was impacting, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, probably millions of people, but it wasn't direct to the consumer or the customer or the reader, you know, face to face. Very different way, Mm -hmm. you know, and they might enjoy watching the Willie Nelson concert. I produced Mm -hmm. something like that, or, I don't know. I played a character on Friday Night Lights. Maybe they like that too. I don't know. But it's more about connecting with people on a completely different level that is real. Mm-hmm. That is a tangible, you can, I've, I've learned so much from them. Incredible to me. And I, it's just, it's, it's so different. I've always been at arm's length. It's like you say, you know, you produce television programming or you produce television series or movies or whatever, and you don't interconnect with the audience. Mm. You know, especially not in person. So it's it's been really a wonderful surprise. I love hearing that. And does it make you want to write another book? It does. Oh, I've actually had. When did you start? Yeah, thinking about it. <laughs> Almost immediately <laughs> um, after I, I did my like first book release event, someone who had uh, it was probably a week or so after the book came out. I couldn't believe someone had who was there had already ordered the book and read it and was talking to me afterwards. And she's like, I'd really like to know about X, Y, and Z. And then I was like, oh, that could be another book. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So I have definitely thought about it. Um, I'm not ready, but I'm making notes. I'm yeah. making notes. And I also cut out almost 100 pages worth of additional things on style. Because although the book is on confidence, courage, and style, have a real affinity for particularly, you know, image and how to dress to feel best for yourself and to be, you know, still your own personality and that kind of thing. But so, yes, I'm, I'm definitely making notes. I would like to do another book. I feel like writing in general makes you more observant of whether it's your own thoughts or just interactions you have with people. And for me, I started a blog in 2014 and I was constantly kind of putting personal little stories in there. And then I wrote about basically myself and it does make you constantly aware of, okay, what next? What can I do? What can I tell? How can I portray this? And I think it's a really interesting way to live. And I admire that, you know, you're already thinking the next thing because I'm sure it will be incredible. But I, I would love to know, it's actually, I think it's Beth Grant said it, but my friend Sam reminded me of it. He said, remain a fan like regardless of like how big you become or whatever like be a fan of these people and I know from your career that you've been exposed to some really successful people and so who are you a fan of and then how did you kind of what was that like you know working with these people so many people I'm a fan of I mean the list is so long <laughs> uh, gosh someone unexpected probably would be Christopher Plummer he is like, I met him right before he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. This was probably, I want to say, five or six years ago. But he was so, the best ones are all so generous, so unself-absorbed. They're really interested in you and what you are doing and take the time to ask questions and are so engaging. But he was such a gentleman. And we were talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo and he couldn't stop talking about everyone else in the cast and how fantastic they were and working with the director. And he never took a second to even acknowledge, he didn't even mention that he was nominated for the Academy Award and was going to the Oscars in like three days. Like it never even came up. It wasn't even relevant to him because he was too busy singing the praises of all the people that he'd worked with. And I was really, I was really blown away about that. So he really sticks out in my mind. Matthew McConaughey is another one. I talk about him a little bit in the book as well because he's got such mad people skills. Really? The last, yes. The last time I saw him, he came to the station in Austin for an interview. And he took the time to walk around the studio and shake the hand of every single person on the crew and introduce himself. And then after the interview, he stopped. We had a nice long conversation. His manager's sitting there tapping his watch. You know, we have to get out of here. And Matthew took his time. He makes eye contact. He engages you. He really cares. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't make it all about him. And I talk about him in my chapter. It's not all about you. Because <laughs> mm. uh, it is important to understand there are other people in the world who have problems and who would like to also have some attention. And he really gets that. He's he's a really nice guy, but it's rare that I'm freaked out by people. Mm -hmm. Growing up in with my parents in radio, I met people from, I've got pictures of me with like all kinds of music people, Bette Midler in Chicago and Rick Springfield. <laughs> That's like very dated, the romantics, culture club, you know, just like growing up as wild in radio. So I, was I can imagine to not feel that weirdness you know, with people who've had some level of celebrity, they're just like us. I mean, they, 
they may understand better how to work what we've all got, but they're people. And they're working on their portfolio lifestyle and their skills. And I, the one thing that's been so interesting to me is my friend Sam from LA connected me to John Reggie, who did was the executive producer of 30 Rock. And actually, I think his episode was yesterday. But all these people are really into self-help and they're into growth and development beyond just, you know, maybe the superficial things that some people tend to focus on that are obsessed with celebrity and things like that. So it's still kind of ironic, but I want to bring it back to you. And I want to ask if you have any ticks or tricks or anything about you that helps you stay focused every day, whether it's meditation or I don't know, reading or like, what is it for you? Well, first I want to say, I did hear at least part of your interview with John Riggie. He was great. And I loved him talking about how he really fell into comedy and it was completely unexpected. <laughs> I was shocked. This was like, Dennis Miller was like, oh, you should move to LA. <laughs> like, you know I mean? But you know, he was open to changing his game plan. You know, he was flexible. He didn't feel like, no, this is the way my life mm-hmm. is going. I'm yeah. not doing anything else. And imagine if he had been, mm-hmm. you know, he may not have the, you know, all the opportunities that he's had in his life. And I thought that was spectacular. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was awesome. Oh, tricks and tips. I do meditate when I can, not as much as I should or would like to, but that's on my list of things that I'm trying to do more of. Okay. The other thing I do is I like everyone else, at least I've yet to meet anyone who wakes up and is immediately motivated every single day of their life (laughs) because life's not that easy. I do have a little trick. If I find myself like sort of paralyzed or I'm not taking action and I know that I need to be, I bring back something that I learned in television when I first started hosting. They do this little countdown for you, you know, and they say five, four, and they hold up their hands, but then three, two, one is always silent, you know, and then it's like, and on one, they point to you. And my three, two, one is stop, breathe, believe. So if I have, like, I'm nervous to go into a meeting, I feel like, you know, it's really important. And this person is, you know, deciding the fate of my future, stressed <laughs> out about it. Or if I'm laying in bed, and I don't feel like getting my ass up, you know, whatever it is, because I'm, I'm having a, you know, I'm feeling not motivated, or I'm having a really rough day, I use that stop, breathe, believe. That is my three, two, one. And no matter what's going on, I get my ass out of bed, I walk into the meeting, whatever it is, and then you're on. And that's sort of how I equivocate it. So wow, that's three, two, one. I absolutely love that because it's not that I don't do well under pressure, but we all know that feeling right before you're about to speak or right before you're about to meet someone and you're like freaking out. You have to find something to make sure your hands aren't shaking or you're not going to stutter. <laughs> I'm the worst about the shake. I grabbed a microphone recently and I just, I needed that tip. So thank you. <laughs> well, you would never know it. You do so well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So speaking of all the roles you've done, what is, is the most challenging? I know we spoke a lot about the writing challenges, but when you think about being in entertainment or on set of a movie, what have you, I'm just dying to know because it seems like you've really done it all. What, I don't know, is, is more mentally taxing? Acting, directing, producing? Yeah, in, in different ways. I would say 
as a regular kind of stress, doing my own film was definitely the hardest. That you have no life. I spent years of that and you would have people who would not come through with what they promise. And ultimately in a project like that where you are the engine, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And you are the one responsible for everything that was stressful. And that's a lot of pressure. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for people like Robert Rodriguez, who's a brilliant guy, really nice, known to, he writes the music for his movies, he directs the movies, he writes the movies. He did all the Spy Kids movies and Once Upon a Time in Mexico and lots of other stuff and worked with people like Johnny Depp and all that. But he's in Austin and he's known for being this kind of do-it-yourself kind of guy. So actually, he's one of the reasons that I thought I could do that. (laughs) You can do it, I could do it. But that was a lot of pressure. In a completely different sense, working on a set where I had no control and was only the actor and was hired was a completely different kind of stress. One, because... I had, you know, grown up doing so much behind the scenes and giving up all of that control and just showing up for someone else was difficult. But worse than that, like I've been in several situations where I was hired to be an actress and work with a director who was very handsy, who, you know, people who were inappropriate and I'm an employee, you know, fortunately that never happened when I was at any of the full-time positions that I had but it's really disconcerting, you know, and I consider myself a pretty strong person and speak up, but there were definitely situations where I felt so uncomfortable and I didn't say back the F up, you know, Mm -hmm. and I wish I had, but there is that fear, you know, it's unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. you have that, you don't want to lose the job. You don't want to cause a problem. Time is money on the set. And I can see how so many people get caught up in that. And I was always able to extricate myself from the situation. And fortunately, it only happened, you know, a handful of times. But it was that stressful because you really feel like you have no control. And I I now looking back, there's some of those situations. I feel like I would have been more aggressive than I was at the time. I was aggressive enough to get out. Mm -hmm. But I wish I had been bolder, really told him what I thought. Well, I think it would have been hard if you're not the star in the show to think, okay, well, I'm replaceable. So I don't want to stand up or say something. That's the point. That's the point. And I think that's why it happens to so many people. And I actually read something recently where Charlize Theron did an interview and I just adore her. Mm -hmm. I think she's gorgeous inside and out. And she's so talented. She was talking about how something similar happened to her in an audition, audition setting. And years later, the same producer called her in to, and wanted her to take a part in his movie. And by this time she was famous and she went to meet with him and he was like, Oh, nice to meet you. And she's like, Oh no, we've met before. And the producer was there with his producing partner. And he was like, we have, and she's like, Oh yes, you had me come to your house at nine o'clock at night. And I showed up and you were in your pajamas. And she made it very clear, like what had happened without saying so. Mm -hmm. And she talked about the same thing. She was like, you know, I don't know how I got out of the house, but, you know, I I got out of the situation, but I wish I would have told him off. And I was reading that and I was thinking, damn, I feel like (laughs) the same way, you know, you you want that moment back. And she really got her come to full circle moment. 
with this producer, mm. you know, and I wish all women could have that. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like people listening have either had that moment or they have been through it and feel the same exact way. And, and I'm glad you've shared that because it's not just in this industry and, and it's definitely something that people need to speak up about. I do want to know, do you think in general that that's improving for the industry? I do. Not necessarily for all the right reasons. I think it depends on who you are. You know, I think as a person, I think there are some people who just sort of let things get to a slightly inappropriate level because that's what they're around and they've been around it and they're mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad to the core person. You know, I think there are definitely varying degrees and there's a big difference to me anyway between Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer maybe or something, you know, like I think there's a broad spectrum of mm. offenders there. And I think some people are now finally behaving better, but maybe because of fear and not necessarily because they understand. I think it's going to take longer for attitudes to change. It always does. You know, you can change the laws and the public perception, but people have to really understand, you know, and I think a lot of men didn't understand and they're mm -hmm. just beginning to comprehend, you know, how difficult it has been for some women and really want to do the right thing. But I think it's going to take a while before they do it just because they know it's right. You know, yeah. I think men are being especially careful because of the current environment and they want to make sure not to make a mistake. But, you know, personally, I don't want the world to get to a place where a man can't say, I like your shoes. Exactly. You know, or that's a pretty dress because we're human, you mm -hmm. know, and I would like to be able to say, Oh, I really like your suit. That looks nice on you. Mm -hmm. You know, which to me is an appropriate comment, but people just blurred the line so badly that now it's like, we're, we have to overcorrect a bit to get to the right balance. Yeah. I actually agree with that because the gentlemen I know in my life are even more cautious than they probably were before. Uh, but I do think speaking up is probably still the best step because I, my listeners know I joke that my fiance is always a good example for things because he's like an average Joe in the best way. And he, I've exposed things to him that he would have never been sensitive to everything from gut health to PMS, just things that come up that if you don't live with a woman or your sister didn't tell you or your mother didn't tell you, then you can't empathize quite the right way. And then the silence obviously doesn't help. So I um, appreciate you bringing this up. I hope all women speak up. You know, no one should be mistreated. No one should be put in an uncomfortable position or made to do or feel anything they don't want. You know, I mean, this is not, this should never be the world that we live in. And I think also a lot of the changes that are happening, particularly in entertainment at the moment, where a lot of women are stepping up and saying, I'm only working on projects with a female director, with at least 50% of the people on set are going to be women. It's a completely different dynamic then. Women aren't going to feel outnumbered on the set, you know, when things are more equitable. And I think that helps a great deal as well. And just as a quick side note, I found it very fascinating. I found out years ago that the first people who really began being filmmakers were women. And they were the ones running the cameras and making films when this first became an art form. And people realized how much money could be made and they started creating these Hollywood studios and they basically pushed all women out, you know, like it became like a man's game. Wow. In the 1930s, 
uh, one of my favorite female entrepreneurs of all time uh, is Mae West, who is a very <sighs> movie star, but she's also a screenwriter, a director, a producer. She really did it all. And it, you have to imagine the context of 1930s. But she is the one who single-handedly saved Paramount Pictures from bankruptcy. Without her, there would not be a Paramount. And she was just incredible. But for her to be able to do all of that in the 1930s, and like Lucille Ball, you know, mm-hmm. her Dead Blue Studios made I Love Lucy, Andy Griffith Show. There really are some great icons, you know, for all of us women to look to in every industry. If you look for them, there mm-hmm. aren't enough I hate to think about how much great art we missed out on or how many great inventions we missed out on because there weren't more women in positions to be able to do that. But it's it's inspiring. Yeah. Well, thank you for opening uh, the listeners and my eyes to that. I knew about Mae West, but that's it's really, really a good point. I don't want to jeopardize your time today. I know you're very busy, but I do have one more question for you. And I'd love to know what advice uh, you would give, whether it's someone that's at a crossroads in their life with their job, or they're just kind of struggling to feel like they're making an impact. You know, what what advice, maybe even just put your um, mentoring hat on that you use with people. You know, I just, I think you probably have some great words of wisdom. I think I have to go back to what you mentioned earlier and we spoke about briefly, which is fear. You have to lose your fear of failure. You have to understand failure is a part of the game. You know, there is no success without the risk of failure. And failure is a course correction. And that's how you have to see it. It's not the end of the game. You know, it's just the beginning of the next chapter. Too many people don't do something because they have this debilitating fear that they're not good enough, that people won't like them, that they're going to fail. And this fear is serving no one, particularly not the person who has it. Every single person who has done something spectacular with their life has had fear. You know, we all have it. This is a a natural emotion. And you just have to decide what's more important to you, embracing that fear or embracing a different future. That brings us back to the quote we started with. So that was pretty damn perfect. (laughs) It's like we rehearsed. Um, What a great quote you had. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. I just, I read a little bit about you, did a little stalking, and um, I thought it was appropriate. And I just really appreciate your time today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on all your success with the podcast. And I love that you're just like jumping out there and getting into it. And you've had so many great guests. I think you're doing an amazing job. I'll definitely be with you. Thank you so much. If you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewees' mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram Dare to Move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are using, we will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. 
It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment, please share on Instagram in your stories, please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to connect, you can reach me at Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks, business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity. So do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview. And let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dare to Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day. And as always, dare to move. Dare to move.